and, and I could just go on and on. And some of you probably have some scars as well. Uh, some of those uh, accidents that happened in my life were because I, I got involved in things, running equipment and power equipment and tools that I wasn't trained and equipped to use. And But I just said, hey, it's a power tool. Let's go with this thing, you know, and then end up hurting myself. But then there's other, other occasions in my life where I, uh, I was a victim of something. Things happened in my life that I did not see coming. Matter of fact, several weeks ago, and obviously you drive down the highway, you can see that. I'm sitting in a red light, three lights from my house, heading to work. And we're sitting at the red light. There's a train up the way. The train's passed. The lights are starting to turn green. The traffic's starting to thin out. We're just still sitting there. And out of nowhere, I hear the brakes hit. And it's, and I look at the guy sitting right next to me, and his bump, his back of his car, the trunk and all is just smashed in. The guy, you could, I, I turned to look to see his body just shaking in the front of the car. I said, oh my gosh, that could have been me. I mean, we're literally sitting side by side. This guy did not even see it. He must have been going 40 miles an hour, just reared in the back of this guy. And I said, whoa, look at the life change that just happened for that guy. Now, he's got to try to get his car to the side of the road. He's going to call the police, got to get his car. I mean, you know the story. Dealing with the insurance company, trying to get you. Look at the time and energy that took. And he had nothing absolutely to do with just being a victim. In life, sometimes we become a victim of things that we have no control over. So if I were to ask you right now to go around and share stories about your scars, all of us have them, right? And, but the thing that is uh, obvious about scars is they never go away, and they always represent a story about something happening in your life. It's a reminder of things that happen that you've overcome. But not all those things are all physical. Some of the scars we suffer in life are emotional, things that have happened to us, things that have been said to us. And uh, I personally had one of those happen with one of the most dearest people in my life, my grandmother. Bless her. She's not here with us anymore. But what she did for me one day was not a positive thing, but was made to be positive. I realized at one point, when I was 19 years old, I was trying to build my own house. Things were different 35, 40 years ago, okay? And I had this idea when my friends were buying cars that I was going to buy a piece of land and I was going to build my, my bride a home. And so here I am, 19 years old, had no business whatsoever getting into this venture. Can the men say amen? <laughs> and, but yeah, I was going to do this and I was going to do a lot of it on my own. And I sat there. And uh, my, my grandmother had told me before, she said, you, you're making a mistake. You're too young to do this. You're not ready to do this. And, and then I got to that point in the building process that I realized that everything she said was absolutely true and that I was not prepared for this. And, and I was way in over my head. And I remember sitting there. The windows weren't even put in. It was just blocked. We had a roof on. It was dried in. I was sitting on the floor crying. Nobody else around. I was looking out the window, feeling sorry for myself, just thinking, what are you thinking? Are you an idiot? Look what you've got yourself into. Not only did you just mess your whole life up, but you took your wife into this. Your bride, barely been married a year, and here you are. You are a piece of dirt. What do you think you're doing? And then my grandmother comes in. I told you, I told you, you should have never gotten into this. And this thing. she just storms in and makes her little opinions that she always made, which I praise God for that. And then she storms out. She didn't know that, but when she was walking up, I was trying to get rid of the tears, you know. And uh, so she left me that day. Well, it left a tremendous emotional scar for me. Something that I didn't ever let hurt me because I could have definitely got my feelings hurt and could have mulled in that forever. 
But I began to realize, am I going to sit here and feel sorry for myself or I was going to reach for something deeper and say, God, you can help me do this. And that's what I did. I got up, I brushed myself off. We finished that house, praise the Lord, and had the opportunity to say to her, Grandma, I did it. You know, not because of me personally, just because I wanted to be an achiever and it was something that we wanted to overcome. So scars can happen a lot of ways. And some of these things, we don't take that positive approach. Sometimes it becomes something, yeah, you really are never going to amount to anything. Maybe some of us have heard that before. You know, I, parenting is a, is, a, is a crazy thing. Sometimes parents say things that the later they regret. I don't know if you had the opportunity yet to go see that movie, um, Case for Christ, right? Oh, gosh, what a movie. And it was, it's a tearjerker when you get to some of those emotional parts about the, the relationship of a father and a son and, and those type of things. So if you get the opportunity to go watch that, I just want to encourage you to go see it. It's just a tremendous story of salvation and renewal and, and uh, believing in God. So, so as I begin to ponder and think about these scars, there's, there's a lot of things that hamper us and keep us and prevent us from finding the purpose that God has brought us into. And all of us have had those moments in our life where we either we are charging forward or we're being suppressed back. I begin to look through the scriptures, and there's, I'm always intrigued by scriptures that make absolutely no sense or you cannot figure them out, and it drives me deeper in the Word to try to figure them out. So in Judges chapter 20... Verse 16, there's the most strange verse of any verse that I think is in the Bible. Now, I'm going to recite from you the New King James Version. So you may have an NIV or something, but this is the way the New King James Version states it. It says, among these were 700 men, select men, who were left-handed. Each of them could sling a, a stone at a breast hair and not miss. Automatically, you're seeing there's something strange about this. Somehow, they put together 700 select men, men like Green Berets, Texas Rangers, Navy SEALs. I mean, the best of the best. Obviously, if they were able to sling a stone and hit the hair on the top of somebody's head and never miss, those are pretty intense dudes, right? They're definitely guys that I want to be on my team. So this verse, I begin to dig and I begin to research some of the things that happen in this passage. In order for this verse to really take the full effect, you've got to understand the context of Scripture of where it comes from. In the whole book of Judges, there's a story of Jacob and the, and the 12 sons and how they were given land and they were told to go and multiply and to create their own uh, tribe and, and region and area that they would be responsible for that land and all of the sons were given land except for the Levites the Levites were in charge of the priestly duties they would take care of the church they would not be allowed to own property or set up residence but they were to take care of the temple and all things related to Christians or being part of the family of God at the temple and so in this <clears throat> there was a, a Levite one of the, the priestly caretakers that were, had a wife now I know it's strange but back then they had wives and concubines I can't even take care of one wife but they would have more than one so I don't understand how that works obviously there's marital issues that take place and there was a marital issue that took place well one of the concubines decide well I ain't doing this anymore and she said I'm going back home to my parents so she decides she's going to travel back to her parents well the Levite decides well I'm not going to let her leave until we can rectify this and make this right so I need to go after her and I need to make things right. And so he leaves and he goes back and journeys back to her homeland and finds 
this home. And they stay there for a while. They begin to reason and work things out. And the, the dad says, stay a few more days. And so to make a long story short, eventually they worked it out. He realized that he needed to get back to work and do the duties that God had called him to do. And so he begins to journey back to the homeland where he was responsible. Because it was longer than a day's journey, they stopped over to a place called Gabi. When they did, a gentleman in the area, and it was a custom of the day that if you saw a stranger passing through, that you would invite them into your home, you would give them food and shelter, and you'd wash their feet, and you'd make sure their stuff was taken care of so they would be able to make the journey out the next day. Well, they were approached by some people of the, the, the village that uh, were homosexual, and they wanted to have relations with him, and they said, no, you can't, but they said, but you can um, talk to our, the, the young lady. So he sends this wife out, this concubine. Well, they raped her until she passed. She passed away. The next day when the Levite got up, he was so furious and so outraged at what had happened, he cuts her body up into 12 pieces. Now, this is crazy. This is in the Bible. I'm not making this stuff up. Mel's, I, I said FedEx, but they didn't have FedEx back then. Mel's each part of the tribe a piece of her body and says, this is what your people did. Now, the people that were responsible in the land that it took place in was the land of the Benjamites. This is really key to understand this in Scripture. The land was the land of the Benjamites, men of right hand. Remember, men of right hand. And so when they received this, all of the other brothers began to be in outrage, and they began to assemble this forces of warriors that were going to go in battle against the Benjamites and destroy them because of what had happened and the way they had disgraced this family and one of the Levite family members. So now you got this big, huge foot war that's fixing to take place. Hundreds and thousands of men are going to go to battle. The Benjamites, in defense, that's where these select men come in, they had 400,000 troops that they had assembled together in defense of their people. Out of that, we recognize as Judges 2016, where it says, and among these, among these 400,000, were 700 select men who were all left-handed. Now, I want to talk to you about the left-handed thing. It was only three times in Scripture where left-handed people that have ever been mentioned. The first time we've seen it mentioned was in Judges chapter 2 and verse 12, and it talked about Ehud that went in and posed as a left-handed warrior, but did not go as a warrior, but went in to see the king and assassinated the, Mo the uh, Moabite king. And the way he did that, most of the time they would pull a sword from the other hand, and they would be able to notice if they were kind of not frisking, but checking people as they entered into the presence of the king. But he had hid the sword in the opposite hand. And so when he drew, he drew with his left hand, and he assassinated the Moabite king, which is an evil king. And it was actually a good, feature, good thing that happened for the people. But the second occasion came in Judge, um, 1 Chronicles 12 and 2. And it says that two dozen ampidectrius right-hand or left-handed men, came in defense for King David. The only other time it was mentioned is in Judges chapter 2016. I don't know if you're like, I'm a history guy, and I just like, oh, I just got chills thinking about, only three times in history this has ever happened? Check it out. So, which brings this whole thing about, how many left-handed people do we have in the house today? Left-handed? Goodness gracious, one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, pretty strong percentage. Pretty strong percentage. Um... So, so anyway, when you, when you start taking 400,000 people, can you find 700 of these people that would be left-handed, first of all? So we've got to think about this. Were these men 
as I began to research this, were these men actually, because of nature, born left-handed and were just that good? And so I began to analyze how possible this would be. So in a room this size, our percentages are pretty good. But because uh, several of you that raised your hand were women, you're out because these were men. So we have to take you off the chart. So as, if you're tracking with me. So the number just got greatly reduced. And now of those people that were left-handed, could it be possible that every single one of them were that good at what they did? And the answer I had to come to was no. So I think for us, by nature, we all born with a purpose, but it may be not naturally that we all end up doing the purpose of God just easily, just like that. Oh, they're born to be that way. It's case is done. It's over. These people were just meant to be great. Probably not likely, though, is it? The second thing is, were these men from birth nurtured for greatness, for this specific skill to be a left-handed warrior that could be so uh, so specific with their skill. Now, it, it is understood that in the great Near East that men and boys are raised up for a purpose to defend the fight, and that in some cases they would actually bind a, a body part. They would bind the right hand, so they would learn to be left-handed with everything. If they were going to do anything, they had to do it left-handed. So it is possible that we are bound for a purpose. And some of us are overcoming some of those things in our life that, let's just say, the way you were first raised up there were things in your life that you don't recognize it as a binding, but there's something in your life that has caused you to be bound, and you've had to learn to overcome. Very possible that this could be this for these people. It's, it's not uncommon to know that uh, in that day that people were deliberately maimed or hindered in battle and war. For example, if if uh, you look at uh, Judges, I think it's Judges 1-7, there's a story of um, the kings that were brought in. They cut off all their thumbs and cut off all their big toes. But God punished them because they did that to those people. They were left alive, but they had to learn to live life without the two biggest, what do you call those things, appendages on their, on their bodies. And so you can see that this happened. So were, were they born nature? Were they just born that way? Number two, were they nurtured in a sense that they developed it because they were bound in some way to develop that skill? Or could it be that they were deliberately hurt and had to learn to overcome that? And, and personally, the way I feel about that whole passage of Scripture, I think the latter is probably the most effective and it's probably the most uh, resourceful for what we're going to talk about now in our lives personally. Because there are a lot of things that happen to us in our life that causes us and hampers us from being everything that God's called us to be. And some of it was a deliberate, intentional purpose of the enemy to take us out. And the enemy I'm talking about is Satan. John 10, 10 says that he cometh to steal, kill, and destroy. And if God can't kill you, he at least wants to take you out of the game. Or if he at least wants to get you to a point where you never live out the full calling that God's got on your life. Are you with me? And that's exactly what the enemy does. Whatever he can do, whether it's a, a, a bad relationship, whether it's a, an early childhood thing that took place in your life that you just cannot get beyond, but he wants you to spend all of your time looking in the rearview mirror and never looking through the direction that God has called for your life. And so as I began to study and look at that, I began to realize that this is exactly what has happened for me. And for the way it works for me in Scripture... The Lord has always let me walk out some of these things personally in some kind of a way, even though it may be on a small scale. It's like, oh, that's the reason why. And so for me, it was something very similar to that. How would it be possible that something 
could, could be done in this way. That the Lord had a purpose for these men from the onset. And yet the enemy tried to do something to take them out of the game, but they were still brought back in for greatness that God had for them. And when my kids were young, we had a, uh, we had a, uh, a situation where they wanted to learn. Now, Kyle was, I don't know if you know this about Pastor Kyle, but he was a high school football player, and he was a, a quarterback. And when we were really, when they were real little, he was actually pretty good. Him and his brother both were pretty good high school football players. And that wasn't his love. He, he fell in love with guitar and music and worship. And, and I couldn't be more thrilled uh, of, of what happened in his life and how it took place. But I'll, I'll never forget the days where we, were, uh, we would come home. I would come home from work every afternoon, and my boys wanted to play ball. And I would teach them everything that I knew. It wasn't much. I mean, I did a little coaching in, in athletics and stuff. But I'd teach them everything. I'd even told them how to grip the football. You know, I'd tell them position of the hand's really important. And, and, and I would just tell them, you know, step, throw, direction, elbow up, and just follow through. Even taught them how to roll the hand over. And, and so I wanted to make sure that they knew exactly the perfect technique. Now, I don't know if you're much into this, but next week is like the big week for me as a football guy. It's a football draft. <laughs> Jacksonville has been stacking up the best players for so long. They better do something with it this year. <laughs> and, and, but I am really kind of into this stuff. But I would teach my kids every day. We would go home, and, and I would just teach them the techniques of throwing. And Kyle became a quarterback, actually. And so it was just so fulfilling to me the day when he stepped on the football field and he did it. And, uh, and then so one day, um, I got my, the use of my right arm back, and I began to. So... The story in the Bible really just comes out to me because I'm not left-handed. I don't even do anything left-handed. When I chew food, I chew food on my right side. When my kids were little, my hand, I thought I had bursitis, but Peggy says, no, honey, I think that's when you cut your finger, almost cut your finger off. And I had my fingers sewed together for three weeks this way, and it was bound to my body. But then they cut it apart, and it was still sewed up. And for six to eight weeks, the prime time when my kids were at their absolute prime and learning how to throw and catch and play ball, I couldn't even use my right arm. And so that's when this story in the Bible really came out to me. And it's like, you know, this is what people do with their call and with their purpose in life. I could have said, you know, I, I can't do it. I'm right-handed. I can't do this anymore. You know, I'm bound, but I said, you know what? I'm just going to relive every single moment as if I'm starting brand new as I teach them. And I'm going to learn how to throw this football just like I could with my right hand. I'm going to throw it with my left hand, and I'm going to teach them everything. And it was like when, when I began to see that and God let me walk through that, it was like, this is my people. They have things in their life that is preventing them to be in everything that I've called them to be. They're letting that mishap, they're letting that problem, they're letting that accident, they're letting that thing that was said to them or done to them keep them from being everything that I want them to be. And I don't know where you are today, but some of you, I can promise you God's got a purpose for your life. And the things that's happened to you were there and God has used that to bring it to good. I want to tell you this. I've never drank alcohol in my life. 
I can't talk to one person in this world about what it means to be an alcoholic. I've never been addicted to anything except for work. I can't talk to a person about being addicted to drugs. I've never even tried it. I've never even popped M&Ms. I have no clue. If you could say somebody lived a pretty Mr. Clean life, it's been me. For a person who's been in the world and done things, there's not much I can say to them. And I, 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 I'm not going to say and apologize that I wish I had went through this so I could help them because no, because you know what? Every single one of you have something that you've gone through. Every single one of you. I can help some people, but I can only help a small fraction of the people because I can't understand where these people come from. I can't understand where some of these things took place. I've had a good dad. My parents have never been divorced. I can't talk to somebody what it means to go through divorce in your family. But how many of us in this room have probably been affected by divorce in some way? My parents have never been divorced. She was 15 years old when my mom got married. She was pregnant with me at 14. I can talk to you about what it means to struggle early on because I've seen that. But they've been married and they're still married to the day. I've been married 35 years. What am I going to teach somebody or talk to somebody about divorce? Nothing. But it happens, doesn't it? People are working through it every single day of their life. And you've got a purpose in your life. And the people that are going through what they're going through have a purpose in life. And only you are the one that maybe God has brought to raise that. And I want to challenge you. First of all, I want you to just commit your life to God in a way that says, I want to put this behind me. I want to take the rearview mirror off from now on. I want to look full forward. Our tenants are going to come to the table today. And I listened to Pastor Kyle's message on, on the Last Supper. It was amazing teaching. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to the podcast because it is good. Really good. And the table is here. And I love the way Fathom Church does this because it really is a reminder of what Christ did for us. And we just celebrated this last week in Easter. As we celebrated what Christ did for us, why did he have to do that? Because the cost of a person's life is the only thing you can pay back to bring back a life that was lost. And Christ did that for us. And as you come today, the communion table represents a place where we come together with God in covenant And we agree together that we're going to begin to serve and give our lives fully to Him. Today, you may not even have made that commitment to Christ as a first-time believer. Today, Christ says, I am calling for you. All you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, and you shall be saved. Let's bow our heads. Lord, today, pray that you take this message, Lord, and this simple illustration of what you've done in my life personally. And you brought it alive so that we can understand that you truly have a purpose for each one of us. And the enemy is trying to use life situations and trying to use life difficulties to suppress and stop the calling that you have on each one of our lives. Today, Lord, you're calling out group leaders. They're going to be able to help people with abuse, alcoholism, coming from divorce. In this room today, you've equipped the people that can reach this community. Lord, help us to live it out fully and in the fullness of your word.